The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Our Heavenly Father, we would ask you that as your spirit of grace, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, has begun a good work in us, and we are assured by your word that he will carry it on to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, that you will make the words that we have sung truer and truer to our deep heart affections. Uh, We pray, Father, thinking especially as our text focuses on themes related to this third verse, that our tears will really fall for your church and our prayers ascend for your church and that our toils and cares will be given to the welfare of your church. And Father, we bow this morning in particular, uh, gathering again after the weekend and after the news of the uh, terrible earthquake and tsunami in Japan to pray for the people of Japan to pray for efforts that are still ongoing to reach survivors, comfort for those who have lost loved ones, homes, livelihoods, provision for those who are suffering exposure and hunger and scarcity, for peace for those still awaiting news, and compassion for your people who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ as they convey comfort, the comfort that only Christ can give in times of great suffering and sorrow. We pray for uh, the open hearts of your people around the world to minister in Jesus' name to those who are suffering. And we pray and thank you for answers to many prayers. We thank you with our sister Nozomi here uh, that uh, her family and friends have survived this tragedy and are being provided for. We thank you that you have provided for the protection of our graduate, Mori Omoto, and his family as well, and others whom we know and care for. We pray now that you will enable them to minister uh, to others uh, in the name of Jesus, and that you will bring glory to yourself, even through this great tragedy for so many uh, who bear your image, that you might, in fact, call many into your family through this time of suffering and sorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Please turn with me, if you have a Bible, to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, the second chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30 this morning in these few moments of morning devotion. Philippians chapter 2, beginning now at verse 19 here the Lord's word. The Apostle Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father... He has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. To me. This is God's word. May He write it on our hearts, even in these few moments of our reflection. Well, in our meditations on Paul's letter to the Philippians, we have been learning by example to face suffering with joy and to replace self centeredness with selfless service, ranking others' needs above our own comforts and convenience and reputations. We've seen the template of joyful suffering in Paul's surprising perspective on his chains and even the impending threat of possible execution, that he found these uh, inconveniences just to be opportunities for Christ to be exalted in Paul's body, whether by life or by death, and so he could rejoice in them. And in our last reflection on Philippians, we saw the template of selfless servanthood in Jesus himself, in the Son who was and is equal with God the Father, but who humbled himself to become our human brother and took the despised role of a servant and then endured the unspeakably shameful death of the cross and then was exalted by the Father to the highest place so that the glory of the Son would redound to the glory of the Father. Now with models like that, we may be tempted to say, wow, that's way beyond our reach. Paul's Christ-centered devotion that makes him joyful in chains, that's high enough. And then he sets the bar even higher. If you want to learn what servanthood is, you look at Jesus and look at his sacrifice. We, we might be tempted to say, Paul, why don't you give us some examples that, that are a little bit more within our world. Some, you know, some mere mortals. Now, I know Paul is mortal, but sometimes we may not have that image of him. Well, Paul gives us a couple of others here. Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are not God incarnate, not the promised Messiah. They're not even apostles. They are leaders of the church, to be sure. But they're men who have a humbler calling and who can therefore show us what it's like to care for others, even in costly ways. Now you may have noticed that these two paragraphs are really announcing some plans for travel. First, Paul's plan to send Timothy as soon as the verdict comes down from the emperor on his appeal, and then Paul expects that it will mean release for Paul, so he himself expects to come soon. And then he goes on to talk about sending Epaphroditus right away, not even waiting for the verdict, because the Philippians are so concerned they've heard about Epaphroditus' deathly illness, and Epaphroditus is so worried about them, and Paul's so worried about Epaphroditus, 
worried about the Philippians worrying about Epaphroditus. You get all that? These people's hearts are knit together. That he's got to get Epaphroditus to them right away. And probably carrying this very letter that he is now composing. Now typically in Paul's letters, the travel plans come at the end. If you look at Philippians 15, for example, in verses 22 and following, he talks about where he's planning to go and when and so on. And for that reason, some scholars have thought that perhaps Paul was about ready to wind up this letter at this point. Maybe tack on what we read in chapter 4 about thank you for your gift. Uh, But some scholars have suggested either that all that we read in chapter 3 and maybe even the beginning of chapter 4 was some other letter or a fragment of a letter injected here uh, sort of artificially or that suddenly Paul got news about the Judaizers at Philippi. We're going to talk about them in a couple weeks. But I think there's a much simpler explanation. Uh, There's no evidence that Philippians ever appeared in any other form than the form we have it with these travel plans pretty much smack dab in the middle. But why are they here? And the simple explanation is Paul has pulled this part forward early in the letter because he wants us and the Philippians to hear in his presentation of Timothy and Epaphroditus echoes of this selflessness that he has been commending to us. Consider, for example, his exhortation in chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then compare what he says about Timothy in contrast to some others that he knows of. I have no one like Timothy. This is 2.20, which we just heard a minute ago. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They are all seeking their own interests not the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy's the one who shows you what it's like to be concerned for others and not for his own interests. And then compare 2.8, the description of Jesus, with 2.30, the description of Epaphroditus. Jesus, being found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. You have your Greek New Testaments open. You do, right? You see mechri thamatu there, thanatu, unto the point of death. You see it again in 2.30. Epaphroditus, I know the ESV doesn't help us here, nearly died, but really it's to the point of death for the work of Christ he came near. Mechri thanatu, same expression. Hear the echo. Epaphroditus is a little replica of Jesus willing to lay down his life for the cause of the church. So Paul's point in describing Timothy and Epaphroditus in these terms that he's already used earlier in the chapter is to say, if you want to see what it looks like up close and personal, to care more for others than you do for yourself, to risk it all for the sake of serving Christ, look at these men. Look not only at Christ who's proclaimed in the gospel and not only me, the apostle who is proclaiming him to the nations, but look at these men whom you know in your own experience. I'm going to just highlight two things, one about each of these men, and then wrap these up because we have so, so brief a time. One thing that Paul wants to focus on in Timothy is his worry. Timothy, Timothy worries about you. And then about Epaphroditus, 
that he came to the point of death, not through stones or swords, but through sickness. And that was his suffering for the cause of Christ. First of all, Timothy worries about you. Now, none of our English versions will say it that way, of course. You Greek scholars can see merimnao there. Timothy will worry about you, but we all know that Christians aren't supposed to worry. Paul says as much in Philippians 4, verse 6, this very letter, don't worry about anything. Older versions, the Geneva Bible said, Timothy would faithfully care for your matters. And the King James Version says, Timothy naturally will care for your matters. Now, in the 16th, Geneva Bible, 1560, 17th century, 1611 for King James, care more often carried that connotation of worry. So, for example, when they get to 4.6, these versions talk about being careful for nothing. But now our versions kind of separate that, so we have nice, polite, appropriate terms like care and concern in chapter 2, and the negative term anxiety or worry in chapter 4. Philippians would have heard the same. Don't worry about anything, chapter 4, but I want you to know it's a good thing about Timothy that he worries about you. Now, it's a different worry, obviously. It depends on the occasion that you're worrying about. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or put on. Your Father will provide those things. And that's what Paul has in mind in chapter 4 as well. It's worrying for ourselves. It's a worry that springs from doubt that our Father will provide for us. But here Paul says it's a good thing that Timothy is concerned about you And the feeling inside is a lot like the feeling when we worry about our own stuff, too. It's that sense of being unsettled, of being stressed about things beyond our control. Timothy's not the only one who sometimes worries for the right reason. Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians 11, when he's listing all of his various sufferings as an apostle, laying out all of his weakness because the super apostles at Corinth say, oh, Paul is so despicable, so weak. Paul climaxes all of his narration of persecutions and shipwreck and hunger and sleepless nights with this, and the ESV gets it right this time, on top of all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, it's not an anxiety born of unbelief or doubt, but it is such a deep care for the well-being of Paul's children in the faith, or Timothy here, for this, these brothers and sisters whom he met when he was part of the team that Paul and Silas led to plant this church and returned later on, as we know from other letters, to this church in Philippi. He cares so much for them. He's concerned about them. And Paul says, that's what you want in a brother. That's what you want in a pastor. He's proven to care for you. It's uncomfortable anxiety. So brothers who are pastors in the making here, as you count the cost of the call to pastoral ministry, you need to count this cost too. Not only marginal income, not only long hours and interruptions to your private time or your family time, not only sometimes opposition from those who resist and resent the gospel 
of grace or resent the lordship of Christ in their lives, but also the sleepless nights over a brother or sister who once seemed so strong in the faith and now seems to be going off the rails. Also the knot in the stomach as you pray and prepare and study through scripture to, pre- to, to try to counsel a, a couple that seems as if their marriage is about to break apart. That's not odd. That's not unusual. That's not a sign of a lack of faith in you if you feel that distress. If your tears fall for the church, as we sang with Timothy Dwight, Dwight a few minutes ago. It's not pleasant, but it's proper to care so deeply for others' life in Christ that it hurts. And brothers and sisters who are not pastors in the making, called to some other service, pray for your pastor, pray for your elders. All of us should be doing that, because that's a burden that shepherds bear on behalf of Christ's sheep, as Timothy did for the Philippians. Pray that the spiritual perils in the congregation that might overwhelm them with worry will instead drive them to prayer, drive them to a deep conviction that Jesus cares more for his flock than even they do. And by the way, remember that Paul's pointing out Timothy's worrisome care and compassion for us here because he's saying you all need to be like. I want you to see what it's like because that's part of what it means to care for Christ's flock, whether you're a shepherd or a sheep. Well, what about Epaphroditus? The one point I want to point out here is that Epaphroditus came close to death, to the point of death, for the work of Christ, but it was not from persecution. It was sickness. It was microbes. It was bacteria or viruses. It may have been malaria. We don't know. But Paul counts Epaphroditus' suffering, his getting that sick, as for the sake of Christ, because he contracted that illness in service to Christ. He could have stayed safe, stayed home in Philippi. He might have come down with some sickness too, but Paul says it was in the process of serving me on your behalf that Epaphroditus contracted the disease that brought him to death's door. Paul says that too is suffering for the work of Christ. That too is suffering for Christ. I sometimes have romantic visions, maybe you do too, of what it really means to suffer for Jesus. It means to go to some far off country and, and, and not have good water and, and maybe, maybe face persecution or execution or death. Paul's much more down to earth. He says, yes, those are forms of suffering for the cause of the gospel, but so is Epaphroditus' illness that brought him to be death's next door neighbor. That too is suffering for Christ. So you are here. And I hope, I expect, in a sense of response to God's call, whether it's to pastoral work or to preparing your gifts for some other form of service, studying the word, and you face suffering for the cause of Christ. Fatigue, eye strain, Lowered resistance that makes you vulnerable to other sicknesses. Tight budgeting, tight scheduling. You get the idea. It's possible, of course, to pursue a seminary degree not for the cause of Christ. For the sake of just idle intellectual curiosity or scholarly reputation. But I suspect that you're here 
I hope that you're here. I expect that you're here because you're responding to the call of Christ. And that means the discomforts, the diseases, the inconveniences that you're experiencing. Christ counts, as his apostle tells us, as for the cause of his kingdom. So learn from Timothy and Epaphroditus, these miniatures of Jesus who are models to the folks at Philippi and from us. But notice this. I'm past time, so I can't do the backstory on both, but I'm going to do it for just Timothy. Timothy cared so much for these Philippians, not because he was naturally wired that way, but because the grace of God had started to work in his life. You see that when you see the portrait of Timothy more widely in the New Testament. Timothy had fear issues. He was a timid guy. Paul has to write to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 16.10, when Timothy comes, see that you, I love the ESV here, put him at ease. The Greek says, see that, you, see that he becomes fearless among you. Relieve him of fear. For he's doing the work of the Lord as I am, so let no one despise him. Paul knew what the Corinthian church was like, how much they loved to beat up on preachers. And Paul says, I mean, it says something about Corinth, obviously, when he says, you know, treat Timothy with kid gloves. But it also says something about Timothy. In effect, Paul's saying, I don't care if you slug me around, you always do. But be nice to Timothy, would you? Be nice to him. Don't let him be fearful among you. Well, of course, that's before Philippians. So Timothy had outgrown this by the time Paul wrote, no, no, no. No, no, no. 2 Timothy, from what I think is probably a later imprisonment, Paul writes to Timothy himself and he says, Timothy, remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity is another good translation there, but of power and love and self-control. So don't be ashamed of me or of the gospel. Still later in Timothy's ministry, Paul has to say to Timothy, Timothy, be bold, be brave. Timothy's not naturally wired that way. But by the grace of Christ, Paul can say to the Philippians, Timothy cares more about you than he does about his own comfort, his own peace of mind, his own fears and terrors. He cares about you, and that's why I'm going to send him as soon as the verdict comes down. So take heart, brothers and sisters. If Jesus can turn a wimp like Timothy from a person who worries about himself, as I'm sure he must have, to one who worries about the needs of others, he can do the same in us. Let me lead us in prayer, and then uh, Academic Dean John Fesco has an announcement for us. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for replicas of Jesus, the suffering servant, whom you place in our lives. Men like Timothy and Epaphroditus who are not perfect but who are being transformed into the image of Jesus and who showed the Philippians in person what it was like to care more for others than for themselves, to risk their very lives as Epaphroditus did in order to fulfill the mission that God had given to him. Father, we thank you that you've placed such examples in our lives too, and we ask that you will make us such replicas of Jesus by your grace for others who will walk along beside and behind us. 
that Christ would be glorified in our bodies, whether by life or even by death. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.